Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. It's not unusual in cases, particularly personal injury matters, where a party is unable to represent themselves due to not being able to meet the legal capacity threshold. In those cases, as we know, the civil procedure rules step in and allow the appointment of what's called a tutor. In today's podcast, I'm with Patterson Hardman Director Paul Taylor, and we're discussing both the role of the tutor as well as what it means from a costs perspective. So, Paul, what is a tutor? Well, what's happening is, and more so in our society as we age, um, we're going to see this happen more often in the courts where persons are, um, I don't say suffering, but are under a legal incapacity where they're unable to give um, instructions to their lawyer, for example, um, that they're unable to understand the proceedings. Um, and, and in that um, circumstances, they can't obviously um, carry on the proceedings and to protect them and in the interest of justice, the court will um, want a tutor in New South Wales, what they call as a tutor, um, to be appointed. They used to be called, uh, I think, a friend of the court back before court rules came in. And the federal court, they call them a, a litigation guardian. But it is a person... Um, that when they're suffering from a catastrophic injury, um, and for example, a, a brain injury, or as I say, a minor, someone under the age of 18, um, then a tutor is appointed under the civil procedure rules and on the, and the civil procedure court. And um, just by way of an example, we, we often see here at Patterson Harbin uh, orders made um, in proceedings where it might be that the defendant is to pay the, the plaintiff. Um, by his tutor, and so you'll have that in the, the actual order. So the tutor's acted in those proceedings. You often see it in personal injury um, matters, where you can see um, a person has been, you know, badly injured, obviously from the accident. And of course, as in, in a state litigation, where um, we start, you know, people getting old and um, or you know, those sort of claims, and they're suffering from dementia or something similar to that. Um, so that's where they come in. They are um, basically there to protect the, um, the person, and they actually stand in. Um, and they become a party to the proceedings as such. So they um, they do take a, a risk in doing it and they give instructions to the lawyers and have to, you know, listen to the proceedings and be engaged in those proceedings. Paul, how, how is the tutor actually appointed? It's quite an informal process. In fact, um, if you're a plaintiff, you might file your claim, you know, uh, as I indicated, by his, by his or her tutor and, um, and the proceedings will um, proceed on that basis. Uh, the logic... Uh, there would be that the, the tutor understands the risk. There's a certificate to be signed by the solicitor advising uh, the tutor what they have to do um, and the responsibilities and that they agree to be liable to cost orders. Um, so um, they, and these certificates are filed in the court. Um, and the effect of the appointment on a tutor is that um, they had conduct of the litigation, as I mentioned, and... And one of the other the important things is it, um, it ensures that the successful party, in the event that they obtain a cost order, has someone against who they can enforce that order. Um, and so it's very important that in those circumstances as a, a tutor is important. In fact, it sounds like the, 
the uh, importance of that issue may not be as important as the um, being bound by the outcomes of the proceedings or the access to justice, but it's considered a very important issue. Um, as I mentioned, the actual mechanics are quite informal. Um, it's these it's certificates are signed and then you're on the pleadings. Um, a little bit different in the case of a defendant, of course, because the plaintiff may or may not know that the person's under um, a legal inca- incapacity, uh, but if that becomes evident during the proceedings, um, then the plaintiff can't take any further steps until the tutor's appointed. If no one um, comes forth and says, I will um, want to take on that responsibility, then by way of a notice of motion or the court by its own order even um, can... Um, can appoint a, a tutor to look after the interests of the defendant. Paul, what about liability for costs in proceedings uh, against the tutor? Yes, yeah, so as I mentioned, there's um, a responsibility when you, you come onto those proceedings and you become, in a way, a party to the proceedings. And I mentioned the, the consequences of costs orders. Mm. So a tutor is prima facie liable for costs um, of the proceedings and of its solicitor. So it'll also have that solicitor client retainer where it'll um, it'll be liable to its solicitor. And then also if there's an adverse cost order, for example, it'll be liable to the other side for um, any costs against it. Um, that being said, um, a, a tutor, prima facie again, has a right of indemnity so those costs properly incurred if they've acted bona fide um, out of the out of the asset pool, if I can put it that way, of the person that had been appointed a tutor over. So, for example, if a plaintiff um, was unable to, in a in a in a you know a major motor vehicle accident, was unable to uh, have the capacity to run those proceedings, and a tutor was appointed, if there was a an, an order and that the defendant had to pay some money to the plaintiff. Um, the solicitor client costs, they would be uh, the tutor can get an indemnity out of those to the um, back to the lawyer. But of course, if there's an adverse cost order, again, he, the um, tutor can look for the um, actual incapacitated person's assets to in, be indemnified for that cost order. Um, I should just mention one thing about costs, and that is that. In more, I say more recent times, this idea of a protective cost order, you might get a situation where it's hard to find a tutor um, to be involved in proceedings. Mm. Um, and if that's the case, because uh, and the proceedings, uh, the court eventually gets someone in or they make an appointment, a tutor can say um, early on in the proceedings or by a motion that they want a protective cost order, and that is that they, they, if they agree to be the appointment as a tutor, they don't, they're not liable personally for any cost orders. Um, that way, if there's nothing to be indemnified from, the, um, the cost order is only against the person suffering from the, the legal incapacity. So that's, uh, that's a, an inherent power from the court to make those orders, um, which is referred to as a protective cost order. Paul, in your recent article on this topic, you you talk uh, about the decision of Stokes and the court. What's the relevance of it? That case, um, the judge was facing um, competing notices of motion in the proceedings, but just by way of background, there um, was a person who had been suffering um, an incapacity and, and people go after her interest during the proceedings and a tutor was appointed 
Um, and it became clear during the proceedings of property by the time this motion that the tutor was not required anymore, that the person the court was convinced on the medical evidence, I suggest that um, there was no need for a tutor. And the tutor, um, for whatever particular motive, maybe it's commercial or some other motive, um, wanted to have something to say about it. And so it filed, he filed a motion to stay in the proceedings of be a tutor. Of course, that, that had consequences on not just the plaintiff, that was the person who was um, suffering the incapacity up to that time, but also the other party had to would probably join to the motion and had to sit through um, through this argument. And he, he ran a very long um, argument about, you know, staying in the proceedings and why he should remain as the tutor. Um, and then... But it took three days. The judge was a bit critical about how the matter ran. But what happened is it was an example where the tutor really, um, I think, acted, especially against the plaintiff, not in a bona fide way, where it almost required a submitting appearance to say, well, here's the evidence, but um, I will be bound by the court's decision um, on whether the um, I should be removed as a tutor but he advocated to stay in um, that role and was unsuccessful. And so he had a cost order against himself over the very person who he was supposed to be protecting, the incapacitated person. When it came to the defendant, um, he was likewise there with a cost order as the tutor. And in that case, um, the, 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 the court had to deal with issues about um, obviously the law of being a tutor and said uh, that he should pay the cost of the defendants on an indemnity basis, again, was the way he conducted um, the litigation. It was just interesting to note the decisions of his honour, uh, Justice McDougall, that he did say that as a matter of strictness, a tutor may not be a party, in that case he's saying that the truth sense the word, he or she is nonetheless to be regarded as a party for the making of cost orders. Um, and he said there were very good reasons indeed why the tutor was appointed. The, applica- the application was put on the basis that the tutor should never have been appointed, but rather on the basis that the condition of the legal incapacity was justified, the appointment no longer existed. Um, and as I said, he said you know, the pay the cost of the plaintiff um, and... Uh, and that because the tutor uh, pressed his opposition to the plaintiff's notice of the motion, his own risks as to costs uh, in circumstances where it's clear the defendant would be represented. And as a result, he got those two adverse cost orders uh, against him. Well, what's the, the take-home message for, for listeners of this podcast? Well, I think it's um, important when we're seeing more and more of this happening with um, tutors coming to the fore and um, taking on this responsibility that they really need to know and understand their legal rights, both against the um, what their, their rights are as a solicitor on those client bills and make sure they can be indemnified for those costs because the solicitor made it for them for costs. Um, and I think perhaps secondly as well, um, in the litigation, always look after the, the the incapacitated person's best interest and not use it as a forum for your own interest because it would be bringing the question of the bona fides. And if you do that, if you're going to um, push things which you think, um, which you haven't really, you know, maybe not taken legal advice properly or pushing for another commercial agenda, um, you'll find on the back of that you won't have the right of indemnity for those costs. The the tutor 
um, will have to pay them, or he, he or her will have to pay them themselves. So I think it's just uh, a salient lesson to see, um, to make sure you conduct yourself in a, in a proper manner and obviously listen to good legal advice. And obviously Patterson Hardman can help. Yes. Yeah, so as I was saying earlier, um, we we get a lot of this stuff in there, and one of the issues is sometimes getting the money um, at the back end of it too. So, for example, if there's a, a New South Wales trustee and guardian um, was the appointed tutor by the courts because no one else came forward and they were um, somehow, you know, the background of the proceedings, they generally won't, um, and there's been a settlement, I'm talking again about personal injury matters here, they generally won't part with the money without um, a, a good bit of evidence of an itemised bill of costs, which which um, we do for um, a number of our clients and present them to um, those that hold the money on trust in those circumstances for the person with the incapacity. Um, and there sometimes becomes issues about, um, even in those circumstances, whether uh, we need to get instructions directly from the tutor or from the incapacity capacitated person. So it's something we're alive to um, and, you know, getting the best results to get those monies paid and, of course, for the solicitors that do the work as well. Paul, thanks for joining me. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find me on all social channels, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube with the handle Law by Dan, or simply drop by lawbydan.com. Thanks.